There is no health without mental health. This is Mental Wealth on 103.2 Dublin City FM with Brian Green. 103.2 Dublin City FM. This is Mental Wealth with Brian Green. Good afternoon. And if you do want to get in touch, that email address, as your man just said, is mentalwealth at dublincityfm.ie. As promised in last week's programme, I'm talking today with Rick Roster, and Rick is an ambassador with Sea Change and Aware and various other organisations. Hi, Rick. Hi, how are you? Good. Tell us, why did you get into the ambassador kind of area of mental health? Um, there was a few uh, personal choices that happened in the community that we were living in. Um, the first year that my daughter did was in secondary school, there was four suicides of young people within her school um, that year, and there was a s- several other suicides that were happening in the greater community. So I felt that, um, I don't know, my personal story, my personal insight, I felt I needed to sort of bring that out to the conversation because I myself have been, you know, diagnosed with bipolar since I've been in 13 years old and uh was was it like easy to just step into it or did you have to kind of get some experience first or get kind of coached in anything um well we did you know with the ambassador project they uh sort of do take you in they they talk to you they sort of show you different various areas they do some media training as well um but no um i really talked to it really fast as anything though you still get nervous the day before you do a talk, sometimes I can't even sleep the night before, but it sort of goes into your head. But as soon as you open your mouth, it just automatically flows. And I find that with most ambassadors, they, they just do a wonderful job. People will have recognized that you're not from around the Dublin area. You've got an accent. Where are you from? I'm from Newfoundland, Canada. But if I had an accent from where I'm home, you'd think I was Irish. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there is that thing with uh, the kind of North Dublin accent in Newfoundland, mm-hmm. isn't there? Why is that? Um, majority of the people that came from Newfoundland, they, they didn't have, they weren't anything to do with the, the famine area. Um, a lot of them were from the Wexford, Waterford area. When in the 1500s, 1700s, they just came over to do a new living and basically they stayed and they populated <laughs> I was told that the Christian brothers were teaching and that that brought the accent, but sure, that's for another day. Uh, you, I've seen you talk up in DCU mm-hmm. and you're doing your ambassador thing. It's very much about your personal story. Uh, what is that backstory? Um, the backstory is basically mental health. I can trace back, like I said, to about 13. That was the pretty much the first time that I started thinking about suicide and it turned into a plan and an act when I was 15 when I first had my first attempt at killing myself Um, but that sort of left me not just um, emotionally unprepared for everything physically it did a lot of damage to my body it broke my back my legs but it took um, months to get the uh, the help psychologically and even then I fell through the cracks because I was never properly diagnosed until I was living in Ireland with uh, bipolar disorder and then it took another 10 years after that to give me a dual diagnosis with uh, borderline personality as well. So uh, it was a, a good while before you got that diagnosis? Yeah um, basically 13 years since it really started in my life and then that was at 26 that I was first diagnosed and then and around the age of 36 when the other diagnosis was there because with the both the disorders it's so hard to um, 
get a proper diagnosis just because of the nature of it. A lot of it is down to observation, you know, family history, observation that, say, your family would be telling the psychiatrist. So it is, it is a, one of these things that takes a long time to piece the puzzles together. In comparison, the health, mental health services in Canada compared to Ireland, what would your observations be? Well, for me, it would be more of a negative on their side than here because I fell through all the cracks. But then again, it was the age that I was at. Um, there's so many different conflicting things that are happening in somebody who's developing as an adolescent. So, you know, it's, it is, would be hard to pinpoint, you know, the disorder because on average, bipolar would could take up to 10 years to be properly diagnosed in a person's life. But um, I just never had a good experience. And even when I was going through a crisis back in my 30s in Toronto when I was there, I was it was sort of a, a black and white issue with me because some people did help and then other people really destroyed me when I was there, psychiatrist-wise. Um, so, yeah, but here I got the help. I got the the proper diagnosis but even then I fell through some of the cracks here because given diagnosis was basically what I was given the word I am and a prescription and a warning saying don't go off your medication apart from that there was no proper education there was no you know services for my family that we're dealing with because you know as soon as I leave a hospital or a day center I'm going into their lives and they are the people that are looking at me 24 7 they're the ones dealing with my disorder my triggers my my mood swings um so if they're if I'm unprepared because of the service, they're totally unprepared. Is it that there's a toolkit required and no toolkit or toolboxes is provided? Um, it's hard to say. Like nowadays, recovery is really on the lips of all the services. Psychiatry is really getting in there. Like I'm on a committee of refocus out of the college psychiatrists, where sort of a group of service user cares and psychiatrists sort of developing new ways of dealing with trainee psychiatry. And recovery is a real big method, but, you know, they would have a, a recovery plan. The tools box, as you say, would be filled with different things. But even though it's set in stone, the writing is there, the, the studies, not everyone sort of follows that procedure. Not everyone sort of goes that route. You'll find some areas that are really good between the private and the public sectors, like St. John of God that I um, was out to a week or so ago with their uh, photo project through Sea Change, they have a wonderful system of how they deal, especially with the youth. But then, you know, you they're not all that good in private. And even then, say within the public sector, like not all the hospitals are good, but then again, some of them are really well done, especially when it comes to a recovery program after somebody stay within the hospital. So it is a shoot and miss type of thing when it comes down to the mental health services and you're very giving of your time with a lot of the support groups and services like Sea Change and Aware. Uh, are they there because of those cracks? Are they there to fill those cracks? Well, sadly, yes. Um, like between Aware, Sea Change, um, various groups that are around there, um, Pieta House, they're there to pick up the pieces, but they're not designed that way. They're there to be a social a, a network to help people get along in their recovery. They're meant to be the people that, you know, you go to after to sort of supplement your recovery. But sometimes they are there picking up the pieces. They are the only points of entry somebody can have to go into the service because the services through the government, through the HSC, are either so underfunded, um, the, the services aren't really supplied, the, the staffing is not there. So sometimes the... 
I find the government is sort of allowing themselves to be in the shadow of these organizations because they know they are picking up the pieces or they are there as a sort of a, a backdrop. But of course, cracks are not, and their reason for being here, these organizations do uh, sterling work. Oh yes, some of them, such as Aware and Shine, they've been around for decades and they're sort of trusted, tried and true, their, their, their methodology and they all deal with certain areas. They're, I don't find they're sort of stepping over each other's toes trying to get the, the clientele in a sense and it's not, a lot of them, they don't view it as a business model even though sometimes it is seen that way or sometimes they have to treat it that way too but they're the groups that are really glued together and they really promote that idea of volunteering people are giving up their time because these are the people that want to give their time they're the people that are passionate about helping other people and majority of the people have so much empathy because they've been through these situations themselves they have had troubled times and they really understand what is being said to them when it's being told and if you had a magic wand to fix the system mm. <laughs> this is uh, kind of setting you up for a long answer mm. but what uh, would you work at first um, I would sort of work along the lines of what the mental health reform are looking at, like, you know, the, the 24-hour-7 care that should be there. The A&E system where there is somebody constantly on call or to allow people to come in, not in the environment of the busyness and the, the noise and everything, somebody that can have a safe place to go to. And, you know, focusing on the budget that's coming up to, to make sure that the, um, the TDs understand that if they sort of invest right now in mental health, twice of what they're promising three times it will save so much within the future it'll be so proactive financially they'll be saving themselves billions in the future emotionally they'll, they'll be saving lives and allowing families to survive and allowing this generation to grow properly you uh got involved in this ambassador work because of uh, younger people and uh with your own experience, what is it that uh, younger people need uh, for their mental wealth? Um, well, I, I think it's for the schools and the government to step forward and say, we will start teaching about your mental health. Because once you have a mind, you have a mental health to worry about. As, as children, I remember when I was 13, I was taught CPR, first aid, and I knew everything that can be done to somebody's body to help them. But we were never taught about our mind or emotions. And I think it's it should start in primary, not in secondary, not in TY. Um, sort of allow these children to understand that, yeah, they can fall down. They can have really, really bad days. They can have emotional days. They can have a roller coaster. And, um, but knowing that there will be people there to listen, that they can have these, these moments where... I'm going to fail. I'm really going to be crushed somehow, whether it's a simple breakup or um, math exams, tests coming up. They got to understand that, yeah, it is an emotional time for them. Naturally, it is. Um, if you add on a, a mental health issue, it's got to be tenfold. But um, they got to understand that like life can be sort of, you know, circumvented in certain ways that they don't always have to you know, be destroyed. If we allow them to understand this, if we give them the tools to deal with, like like the RAP program, CBT, DBT, um, different areas of just talking about their emotions to be able to open up and, you know, speak. Because I find sometimes we as parents, like I have two children, 23 and 17, but as they were raised, I really kept the, the concept of what I went through as a teenager close to my chest. 
I never forgot what it was like to be their age. But for adults, a lot of us, we do forget that. And we, we forget, especially now, like, I find the kids that are dealing with the social media, dealing with the, the, the cyberbullying, the, the misunderstanding of words to print to photos going out in, on, in real time, you know, whether they're good, they're bad, or, you know, embarrassing moments. They're, to me, the kids that are surviving this, that are making it through, they're just badasses. They're, they're surviving so much more that I couldn't at their age. And many kids that are my age now, or many adults, like if we had to have social media on top of what we went through, it will, that would be another generation destroyed. And and so how is that happening? How how are they so good at adapting to like the smartphone is eleven years old? How how have they adapted so fast and so well? Is that like the human condition can do that? Yeah, um, but basically it's it's being raised within that environment. They're 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 growing with this technology. Like you see five year olds trying to swipe books paper books to get to another page you know as they would swipe a screen um it is the it's a monkey see monkey do um they they they're growing up with this technology but even at that saying they're growing up with it or they're smarter than we were they have more access to knowledge they have they're they're readily there but they're just as immature as we were as children we can't take that away from our insight they had those emotions like i used to call my daughter a little bipolar because she would be so emotional at times like one minute you're saying hi i love you and the next minute she's screaming at you because as a teenager your your body is developing the hormones are firing off you're going through this growth spurt um their their brains are so wired differently than what ours are they're almost like an alien species when it comes down to their processing speeds but they're a social species when it comes down to things and they connect that way through social media it's just that we got to sort of help them understand that social media can be used better. Like technology is not inherently evil. It's how we deal with it. It's how we produce it and how the kids are are raised with it. So if we sort of, you know, really focus on a lot of that within our language of, you know, well-being, mental health, understanding, understanding that words can really hurt. Imagery can really destroy somebody. It's something that we need to focus more on. So just to maybe pin you down on some things you're talking about what happens in schools and what they learn is it that you want things on the curriculum as official as geography and maths and irish definitely wholeheartedly it really has to be in there like you you have you know gym classes that help people with their physical health we do need these areas where they help them with reality and not just reality on to mental health, you know, reality of getting out there, socializing, understanding that once they leave this world, it's going to be totally changed. Is there a, like a political party who are on side for pushing this? Um, every party says that they are really on, on board and you do see it, especially within the, some personalized notes of, of TDs. You hear them talk about um, either their story, not so much their story, but people that they know, people that were within their locale. But um, Sinn Féin is, has always been very dedicated, uh, as my understanding that I've known within that. They, that's one of their really major focal points. But Fianna Fáil, like, they are there doing it, but sometimes um, it's... it's I, I just see a lot of times it's just more so photo op or the same old, same old, or sometimes these studies come out and they become sort of just little paperweights after a while. Um, if they really put the passion in it, 
and really understand that what they're making changes, it can really happen. When the current Minister for Europe, I'm trying to think of her name, uh, Helen McEntee, that's yes. what it is, was in mental health, uh, she brought out a 200-hour curriculum addendum that would be put into schools, not like a, a leaving cert or a primary school subject in the classroom, but but more like something like the nature table or or religious uh, education, like a non-important, non-exam kind of thing, 200 hours. So that 200 hours turn up in schools, do you know? No, I don't think so. Um, I personally really haven't seen it touched off. It's um, like I know when she was uh, Minister of Mental Health and um, she did a wonderful job. She She was out there with her story. She had personal experience. She had very well... Like she had empathy for the whole situation, but as is government, there's an evolution. She was changed around. We have a new one, new minister in. It, it, it's it's like the short sightedness of it. They're they're only allowed so much time, and for the change to happen, it has to be a change over years, decades. It's got to be started now, and it's got to be allowed to grow. But with all these changes that are happening, it's, sometimes it comes on too quick to allow these things to really get a foothold in, into the schools, into our lives, and we, we just lose sight of it. Sometimes I, I listen to radio interviews and I think, well, there they are talking about something really interesting. What I'm going to do in the middle of this interview is just pause it with regard to asking the next question and say that let's check the facts on these 200 hours because they were put out in the media they were in the newspapers and we're going to as a radio program try and find out where these 200 hours have gone are they there are they gone into schools are children getting them are they enough and we will report back on those 200 hours within the program next uh, question i'm talking with uh, rick roster from uh, sea change and aware and various other organizations uh, st john of gods as well you do work with them and my question is, what country in the world is doing it right? Is there anything kind of that you've seen uh, out there that, you know, well, they're doing it good? Mm. Um, well, I, I see Ireland using a lot of um, research paper and, and, you know, getting into practice of things that are happening from the likes of Canada and Australia. Um, like re, uh, reachout.com, they ser- that was sort of an Australian initiative. Um, Safe Talk, um, a, you know, that coming from Canada. Like they are reaching out to other areas. But I, within the European reach, I think they need to look out at the Nordic countries. They, you know, as we know within the, the World Health Organizations and, and um, the UN that they have on a meter of happiness, on a meter of, you know, Everything in the sense of being a number one country, they're, these are always in the top five um, because they are really looking at it socially. They are not concerned about financial. They are really digging in deep for their citizens, for the future, to say we need a healthy society to have a healthy future. And I think we need to really focus, and not just on mental health. Like It's in a lot of areas, the, the prison system, which the homelessness, which is again tied into mental health as well because virtually everything that we we see and do is mental health regarding um our minds but um yeah they are they are doing extraordinary things and i think we we can take a lot from that um but it takes the will and it takes the courage to say yeah we're going to take this change because ireland is not used to change 
And when it comes, sometimes we're not really prepared for it. Like, I've been here 22 years, and I understand the way it, it works in the system. My daughter and my wife are Irish. So, and it's not too far from my own ancestry. But we are like that as a, as a, as a people. We are sometimes closed off to the change or not willing to allow it to take root. But, yeah, these countries are doing wonderful things, and I think we should look towards that. One other thing I get the opportunity to ask you about, because you know something about it from talking to you just before the interview, is uh, AWARE and the CBT programme that they have. Now, everything in mental health can often be around budget time and asking for more money for occupational therapists and nurses and doctors. But when it comes to scale, the internet really scales well. And AWARE have a programme that's delivered over the internet uh, for CBT and I think you can get 100 hours it's always uh, booked out far in advance uh, is it still that s- uh, same way and tell us a bit about that programme yeah um, it's their life skills online it's their uh, online CPT course their uh, cognitive behaviour therapy course and it is an eight uh, an eight week programme that they have through Silver Cloud and it sort of allows people to go in and sort of take their own personal you know, story their own lives into the program that is there. Like it has been tested to be, you know, really well done, well received. Um, a lot of people really benefit from it. I personally did um, a DBT course, which is dialectic behavior therapy. It's sort of sort of the the first stage of the, these type of therapies. It's more intense, um, and that helped with my um, borderline personality and my bipolar. And it's that was a sort of a stepping stone for me to get back into recovery. But, um, yeah, a lot of these um, online services can really help out people. Like, they're a stepping stone into the really good services. Or they're a, or a part of um, a toolbox that people can learn and understand their own emotions, their own personal stories, and um, the journey that they're going to take. And online services are really well done. And for, especially Ireland, where you got rural Ireland, where people can't commute, they're sort of locked into a smaller community or to go somewhere for these type of personal services or face-to-face, they have to travel. So they are a great stepping stone for people that are isolated or people that just really don't want to be seen going somewhere looking for help because there is still that stigma out there for people to um, go through. And sometimes it's our own internalized stigma that we feel we're off and we're doing something wrong. But, you know, I I just tell people, reach out, look for help, and... um, it's a show of strength once you do that. It's not a sign of weakness when you're you're you need help for yourself because if you can't help yourself or you know give yourself that me time, it's it's going to be damaging for yourself in the long run. It's going to be and the people around you, whether it's family, friends, work people, so people just got to start looking at. It. And there's so many different groups out there that have an aware like an online presence. Uh, final question: uh, workplace. Are employers really uh, picking up on all this talk about mental health and changing policies within human resources departments, uh, or are they, you know, much the same as ever before? Um, bit of both. There, um, like through sea change, we have seen a lot of groups, a lot of banking groups, like um, AIB, the Central Bank, and all that. There, especially with the photo projects that we did over in Saint John the Gods, like they they're reaching out. And trying to get, um, whether it's training for their own mental health awareness, their management teams, their understanding that they do need policies in there. Because we're looking at and we're telling them, especially the government within their own services and all, um, like if somebody is having a mental health issue, 
more often than not, like 80 to 90%, when they tell somebody that they're having an issue, they bring up a physical reason, an excuse of why they're, they're hiding, they're concealing the fact that it has to do with their mental health. Um, and that's put stresses on people. You're, you're hiding something from your boss, you're, you're worried about insurance, all these different aspects are, are whirling in your mind. But if we were open society to somebody saying in, you know, HR that they're having a mental health issue, you know, HR can have like certain um, policies in place where either through their own, you know, um, services, they would allow people to go to counseling or they would, you know, get them help, time away, sometimes getting back then into work that that period of being away to going back to work is so much shortened like something that would normally take six months to get over could be taken one month if the services were there but is it an area where that stigma thing is just you know clinging on and won't go like because there's obviously that coming back and that's that dialogue or that story that your colleagues know about it seems to me that it's something that is yes to change yeah oh yeah definitely like we we look at the change happening within organizations through policy and through higher management saying we need to change but it is always going to be down to a personal thing somebody's reaction to somebody being out for a mental health reason or somebody knowing that they have themselves have the mental health their reaction we're all individuals, so we take it differently. And sometimes we bring to the table our own prejudice, our own superstitions around things. But we do see through, you know, statistics that people are being more aware and people are more comfortable with somebody with a mental health issue working with them. But even at that, we, we see differences between rural and central Ireland, like uh, Dublin, like there is a difference. Like more people outside of Dublin will be willing to work with somebody with a mental issue than within Dublin. I don't know if it's because there is more of a community concept further away from the greater city. Um, but yeah, but there is change. We do see it evolving over the years. Okay. Uh, just like uh, that was the final question, but like what's next for Rick Rossler in the mental health space? Um, well, I'll keep doing what I'm doing, especially, um, because I find it rewarding for myself, my own mental health. Um, I do see that there are a lot of different changes that I'm helping out with people. Um, but personally, I want to go back into university. I wanted to get a degree so I can sort of get into the, the wider range of policy making or, you know, real cultural change within Ireland itself. Like, I do love the aspect of one-on-one talking and helping people that way, whether it's through a phone or a text. But I really like the concept of understanding that I'm creating a social change, not just, you know, one small environment. Um, That's where I want to go. Is Rick blogging away somewhere that people can follow you? Yeah, I I do a lot of blogging. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, You know, Rossiter1497 on Twitter. I have a blog um, uh, that I've sort of taken a break from. But um, I sort of, every now and again, I get really inspired and I write something really up, up there. And, you know, sometimes they're, they're, they're seeing through um, my Twitter accounts, um, the college psychiatrist retweets them, See Change retweets them. Um, it's called um, Bipolar Depression and I. So it's, it's one of these things that I, I, every now and again, I really get something good out there. 
Brilliant. Rick Rossler, it was wonderful meeting you and thanks for your time today. Well, thank you very much and thank you for having me. My thanks to Rick Rossiter for today's interview. If you have been affected by issues brought up in today's interview, you can get in touch with the Samaritans on 116123. That's it for this week's programme. If you do have anything for inclusion, mental wealth at dublincityfm.ie is the email address. We're back next Tuesday at 12.30. From myself, Brian Green, until then, have a great week. Stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye.